This podcast is sponsored by CDO Group, the industry leader providing a full range of construction and project management services. CDO Group has managed thousands of projects in all 50 states. Their group of experts provide systems, processes, and procedures to make sure that your projects turn over on time and on budget every single time. With over 24 years of experience, CDO Group is the industry's leader in construction management and general contracting services. To find them, go to cdogroup.com. Hi, and welcome to the Future of Development podcast. My name's Anthony Montategi, and I'm here to inspire people to find amazing careers in the construction development world. If you like our podcast, please make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really like our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Future Development Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montategi. Today, I have the one and only Marco Silva. Marco is the ambassador for AI for Microsoft. His background in AI is second to none. He's also got one of the coolest NGOs in the world. Let's welcome Marco Silva to the show. Marco, welcome to the show. I'm uh, excited to have you on. Uh, last time we, we saw each other, we were in Portugal. That was uh, quite an eventful night together. You know, uh, my wife, my wife uh, got to meet Christina and uh, you know Sophia. The two of them just hit it off like, uh, like you know, it was great. That restaurant we got to go to was was amazing. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, in Portugal. Oh, first of all, Anthony, so thank you so much for having me and 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 the the memory of uh, us four having a, a dinner uh, here in Portugal was was amazing, and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and and meeting you and just talking here in Portugal about your your experience, your projects, and uh, my experience, just sharing that over a meal, it was it was so cool. I loved it. What a great restaurant that and, was. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. We had we had a full uh, a full meal, full dinner meal. We, we almost closed out the restaurant. So it was so good. <laughs> we were so so uh, uh, having fun, just uh, uh, having a having a blast, sharing experience and everything to the point that we almost closed the restaurant off. Yeah. So it was so cool. Well, in the end of a pandemic, also. So it's uh, yeah, have that experience. If we would like one year ago here in Portugal, it wouldn't be probably possible. So it's so cool. I think the next night. Portugal actually opened up completely uh, that that following night, right? I don't think it was it was next the the week after. Okay, we 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 went through the final phase of phase five, uh, but it was uh, it's been very good. Fortunately, after that, uh, until now at least, let's see how Christmas goes out, right? Well, you know, uh, I think that's that's great to talk about that. But yeah, I I, want, I think the audience yeah. really wants to get to know you, and let's kind of back up a little sure. bit and get uh, some of your background uh, and how you got into uh, AI and what your the amazing work that you're doing today. I think uh, we're, we'll get into all that, but let's get let's go back a little bit and get to know Marco and uh, your background. Sure, sure, Anthony. Thank you. So uh, I, I I enjoyed AI. I think from from the very beginning. I, I started engineering in in uh, in the university here in Portugal in in Oporto. So um, I I developed this passion for computers really early. I didn't know AI when I was young, but I I really understood that computers were this magic box that could do things that humans had difficulty doing at a high speed. So they do the same things as human, but they do it really fast. And this concept got me into computer graphics, into things that are very abstract, uh, but building them in code. And this got me to the university and I, I, I majored in uh, uh, artificial intelligence and I majored in computer graphics. 
to be honest, I thought I would be doing games for, for, for the rest of my life. I, I, I built a, a, a student's group uh, at the university called uh, like a student group for computer graphics. This was the second uh, student group in Portugal uh, focused on computer graphics. We started doing some games, started doing some some simulations for medicine and stuff like that. When we were, we were just, well, I was like on second year, third year in the university. It was really early. We're trying to do things with AI and, and, and computer graphics at the same time. But then uh, I went uh, and started focusing on business. So I, I, I went full business. I started working for Microsoft. I built uh, stuff like, uh, I built the first Netflix-like application in Portugal, like eight years, I think, eight years before, so six years before Netflix came to Portugal. Uh, Netflix was starting in, in the US, uh, to be somewhat known, it, it would still have, it was the time that Netflix still had this DVD discs uh, system that you would mail in a, a DVD and they were starting to think about moving into uh, uh, digital and full digital streaming. We were building a digital streaming platform. So it was a big inspiration at the time, but still uh, very early on, but that was very much business, but always, always looking at AI. Microsoft was starting to move into AI at that time. We were talking about 2000 and 10 uh, and I, I was basically one of the the, the speakers and always uh, trying to be an evangelist for AI that got me to the point today for that I'm the ambassador for AI for Microsoft here in Portugal so I'm the AI ambassador uh, trying to build this knowledge global knowledge of people and awareness of people to AI to companies communities students so I do a lot of uh, evangelism in, in universities and, and stuff like that so it's trying to build that awareness of AI uh, to the point that today I, I teach AI I, I, I got this so much into myself that uh, I teach three three uh, universe uh, three uh, disciplines in in the university here in Lisbon uh, so I, I teach machine learning and artificial intelligence advanced machine learning and artificial intelligence and data science projects so basically this is a final project that the the, the students uh, need to do around data science and, and machine learning and AI so it, it was a little bit like this my my always connected to technology always trying to build this uh, gap that exists between what you can do and really should be doing with AI. Talk a lot about ethics. Uh, I, I do that on, on my podcast. I still have a podcast also around AI. So I try to build this evangelism as much as I can to to, to get AI to the point that uh, everybody's aware of what it can do and its true potential, not the sci-fi things that Many people still believe that this is and and built fear. Even uh, I tried to, I tried to build a, a, a good positive awareness of AI, and this is something that Microsoft is doing, and uh, I try to uh, help as much as I can. Well, you know, you know it's, it's funny when, when you when you talk to students about yep. uh, you know AI and you're getting them started. Where do you start mm -hmm. them off with? You know, because it's, it's such a big conversation, such a big thought to get. You know, for for me, whenever I start someone off on on AI, I always say, hey, look. Just do me a favor. Please go read the book or listen to the audiobook, uh, Life 3.0. 
For me, I love mm-hmm. I love that uh, book. Max Max Tegerman Tegr- just does such a great job of uh, in his description of you know the the, the formula and, and you know uh, putting together the, the whole theory behind it. I love that, uh, and I think it makes it easy for people to understand kind of how AI could play into their life from the stimulation that he does in, in the book. And uh, for me, that seems like a great way to start people off. When you start a student off, or you you know someone that's interested in AI, or, or someone just trying to digest what's AI, how do you, where, where do you, where do you start to break that down? How do, how do you explain it to them? Okay. So for students, the, the, the goal there is, is a little bit different because my students want to work in this world. So I try to, from the beginning, try to get rid of some misconcepts that exist around what's AI and what's machine learning, what's possible and, and what's the magic behind it. Because uh, most of them will feel that most of the magic will leave uh, the, the their minds as they, they, they start to understand and, Many of these algorithms aren't that much, they're predictions based on statistics and not true, true magic. Because there's this idea of general AI that's still far away. I, I, I personally believe not that far away. They're not talking like hundreds of years from now, but it's still decades away probably from, from existing as sci-fi movies show. So that's sometimes blurs your, your, your knowledge, creates this magic that AI will solve every problem that I just put it into, even if there's no data, he will find the data. No, it won't. So AI is very, uh, still today is very, a process of uh, trial and error, very iterative and not that pretty when, when you're working on it. So for my students, I try to try to ground them in what, what will they be doing and what's the, the, the true potential of, of that. So try to, kill a little bit of the magic that exists, but build a new magic around, this is possible. So look at this and try to give them a, a full array of tools to solve problems that I would say to them then, so try to solve this yourself. You won't because this, this needs technology. This is born. This is a born solution with technology. You need it. So you need to understand it. It's, it's not a sci-fi movie anymore. These things are, weren't possible and now are, but there are still things that we need to work on. So that's, you, that's you know, how I try to do my, my students. You know, when, you, when you say you still think it's decades off, you know, to me, I keep looking at it going, look, there's a lot of silos of development. Right. If you go look mm-hmm. at it across the industry, you know, there are every one of the groups I speak with, you know, if, if, if it's the uh, architectural uh, platforms, if it's the uh, construction data services, if it's the uh, uh, restaurant people that we work with, uh, you know, across all of the different platforms that we work on, they're in little silos. And to me, what it feels like is mm-hmm. we're working out the different components, the data collection, the data matrix, the the data sourcing, you know, in these little individuals that almost at like AI would do, right? You know, how AI would take out a concept and break it down and, and work on each strategy a little bit differently at the same time. Mm-hmm. It feels like that's actually what's happening today across the world, that uh, there are th- hundreds of thousands of silos of people that are developing databases, uh, algorithms. They're learning all the components of it and, and at, somewhere in there, there's going to be a computing power that's strong enough and fast enough to be able to start to pluck these together and understand them each individually, right? And th- th- that collective, you know, my, my belief is that somewhere we're going to have this leap. Now, where that leap happens, who's the creator of the leap? Um, how is that, you know, right now I feel like we're, we're generating some of that, but I don't see decades. I, I, I keep imagining that we're going to have this uh, leap somewhere that'll be shorter than that. When you say decades, help me understand why you think decades out, uh, as where where other people are saying, you know, hey, it's five years out. 
Okay. Uh, in terms of general AI, yeah. um, I don't think uh, because because the thing is, uh, we're, we're very very much proficient and very good at at building specific AI. So specific tailored tasks uh, can use AI, and we're, we've been doing that for for many areas and many industries. I think there's no industry today that doesn't leverage data mining, and I I, I separate data mining from AI that doesn't uh, use data mining for for the problems to do some predictions, and then some of them are start using true AI. Uh, but it's very specific tasks in medicine or in in, in industry in construction in aut- automation for for cars or you have specific tasks but you cannot pick up a a model that was built to and and learned how to perceive the world in a car and then transport that to a home for instance and and make your home automatic or 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 use it in uh, in another context so you need to build it from scratch so we're building very much all of these systems based on the same logic based on the same algorithms but still building from scratch in the human brain, there's this difference, and and sometimes we think about AI in the same way, but uh, AI hasn't built that part because our human brain can be specific for a task, but it's the same brain that then will be used for the next task. And we reuse the learning that we have. Say, if I I'm a very good doctor and I'm I really proficient in in learning all of uh, all of the the a surgeon, for instance, I'm very proficient in doing heart surgery. If I start moving to the brain, I'm I'm not going to start from scratch. And and we as humans, we do this. We reset our careers many times and move from industry to industry. And we take that knowledge and we we gain that. I remember the the uh, the Renaissance phase of the world. We we were like engineers, doctors, uh, mathematicians, uh, painters at the same time. So creative brain with uh, logic brain all meshed up together, doing everything. That's a non-specific brain we don't we don't have an, a, gen, a generic brain in terms of computing we haven't built it and what i think here needs to trigger is to build a generic algorithm that hasn't exist that could then move from one task to another transfer learning we can uh, exists in transfer from one task to another but transfer learning is very limited it's very narrow i can it's, it's optimization for instance so I, I can optimize schedules in the school so i can optimize schedules in a in a airplane for instance or 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 i can pick up this and play a game like a board game or a, or, or a PC game and then transport that in terms of optimization and decision making to uh, team optimization or, or even have a different problem. But still, it's going to be that type of optimization. It's not completely different knowledge that would be built. And I think we still need to build that part and it takes, takes a little bit of time to build new algorithms. The, the algorithms that exist today, I studied them when back back in uh, early early 2000s, it was the same algorithms. Uh, uh, the neural networks didn't exist as much. They existed, as the definition was very old, but new architectures are, are arising off, off the same principle. So that's innovation, that's not creation. Well, we need still to create something new uh, to, to have that. But I, it's really tough. I say decades because based on the progress that we have now, uh, maybe it's 10 years, maybe it's 20. Uh, because uh, like you said, and I, I loved your, your point, Anthony, there's this uh, breakthrough moment, right? It's so- somewhere it's going to happen. And when, when that happens, yeah, for sure, it's going to be really fast. Like, like it was in, in the past in many, many points in our evolution as humans, uh, human species. Is that moment where cognition was revealed, neurosciences maybe 
find a way and we can build from our brain to to a computer or may, or silicon based life emerges well, naturally i don't well, know. I, I think that that's it you know we, we you can see this big leap in our evolution when we learned to do uh com when communication really got robust right you know you, you can see in sapiens mm -hmm. when you read the book or uh you know you did such, such a great job of describing the leap from uh you know non-communicative uh, species to communicative you know we're, now we have communication we're able to tell stories we're able to uh, describe where things are at you know as you look at elon musk creating an ai for cars and he's got this, you know, camera vision system that's able to, uh, you know, he's using more of the camera systems rather than the LIDAR. He believes that's going to be, it's harder to develop at first, but once he develops it, it's going to be a much more robust capacity to, to really identify objects, to see them, and, uh, you know, much, much smarter. But it'll take long, it's going to take a longer time to ramp up and develop. But over time, when it does, it'll be a much truer than just regular LiDAR will be. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, now that you look at LiDAR and go, or, or, or camera vision and be able to see that, you know, if you adopt that to playing chess or adopt that to uh, finding uh, uh, vascular diseases or, or, or change that over to looking at a construction method, to really looking at means and methods, you know, isn't it just a matter of once the information's created, now we just need the data algorithm or the data collection to be inputted, right? Now we just need to get enough um, sources of data to show that, you know, this is what a, uh, a 10-inch I-beam is compared to a 12-inch I-beam. You know, we just need enough data references for AI to go, hmm, that's an I-beam. That's a 10-inch I-beam. There's a 12-inch I-beam. Uh, oh, there's a there's a heart uh, there's a, a blood vessel clog, and here's not a blood vessel clog, right? You know, enough data to put that in there, and uh, I feel like right now we're collecting all of that data, right? All of those images, all of that data collection, even though we don't have the camera system yet that can identify it, the data collection. You know, we, I talk about that here all the time at uh, CDO Group. Mm -hmm. We don't have the technology yet. But our job right now is to absorb and categorize as much data as we can, as fast as we can, even though we don't know what the data is going to be used for today, start to achieve and develop, start to find the ways to collect the data and store it because we'll, we're going to need that later on, right? We're going to, there's going to come a time when we're going to be able to use this data to use it, even though it today, I can't see it, right? I, I can't see the tool that we're going to use to use that with Right now, my job is just to know that somewhere it's. I'm going to need to input this data to uh, to really make the to make the AI more effective later on. If you build the the the, the petition, I'll sign it for for collecting all of the data and opening it to the world. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a petition I'll sign because I, I that's that's the thing that is mostly missing. Open data uh, and open data projects is is basically what's missing to to create another big leap in in terms of uh, in terms of AI. I totally agree with you. And and to the, the difference here in, in my in my belief, uh, I think is we're we're still at the point where um the algorithm the base algorithm is still not as complex to the to be able to move from one task to another easily okay transferring from one problem to the other is still a limitation in terms even the the most complex neural networks that identify objects 
are able to change from identifying those type of objects to other types of objects, they will, they will use data as image sources. And mm. if you want now to have a different type of image or not identify objects, but do a, a like a, I, I want to detect a movement, you need a different algorithm, you're going to start from scratch because that algorithm will not be able to shift to the different problem as much. But you can do something like if you have diff, uh, enough labeled data today, uh, hypothetically, that you could map all of the objects in the world and all the variations, then probably you would create a perceptor that would be able to identify everything as a human would, or even better, because you would know everything. And I, I, there's, I haven't been to every country in the world, so there's many things that would probably ask someone, what's that? I never saw that. And the, that machine that has all the data will probably say to me, would be my partner in my mobile phone that will just take a picture and tell me that. So yes, I think that type of AI is possible. We're still, still still missing the data, like you said. So like I said, if you have the petition, I'll sign it for sure, well, because the, that's uh, what we need. Well, <laughs> so here, so, so, no, 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 here, I think that's, that's the game, right? Here's the game. Yep. I'm up for collecting all the data, but whoever collects the data, right? If we're gonna make transparent, if we're gonna make data collection uh, transparent, we're gonna collect it all. I need transparency mm -hmm. on the people that are collecting the data. We cannot have, if, if we have people collecting data in some sort of secrecy, we, that's the number one way to create a dictatorship. If we start that way, oh, yeah. right? If, if there's one person out there collecting data and knowing too much about me, and I don't know what they know about me, now I've set myself up for a perfect place to create a ruler over top of us that may mm -hmm. or may not do what I want them to do. And uh, you know that's, that scares me. But if as we start to look at the data platforms, great. I, I don't mind you collecting data. I just want to know what you're doing. I want to know who the people are that as the more data you collect, the more we should know about you and know about your, what you're doing with it and what's going on with my data. Uh, you know, my, my feeling is the open source data isn't the problem. It's the open source data collector. That's the problem, right? Uh, you know, how are you profiting from it? How are you going to use it to, you know, what I don't want to yeah. do is I don't want to be hijacked, right? I, I don't want, I don't want you to start to hijack me and, uh, you know, start to you know, create things about me that I don't even know you're doing to me. I don't want you to start to manipulate me mm -hmm. and I don't know about it. I, I if, if you're going to collect data about me and you're going to use that, I want to know what you're doing. I want to say, and I think we want to say, and I think that's where the, the AI world uh, is trying to put the brakes on right now going, Hey, 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 hey. we're all for AI but we just want to make sure we, we got to get some rules in here that say what we're doing with the AI and the AI community is all wrestling right now to get a body, an organizing body to do that. And uh, you, you can see that across the world where, you know, uh, they, they're, they're saying, uh, I, I think uh, the United States came out this week and said, could we, or, or uh, the World Organization came out and said, uh, we're going to put a halt on AI development. I'm like, yeah, good luck with that one, right? <laughs> we're going to put a halt on AI development. I think it's more source of, hey, how about we just all communicate what we're doing up front and the more open source data we collect, the more open source information we need to know about the collector and what they're doing with it. And I think in theirs seems to me to be one of the opportunities as we develop AI. Yeah, I agree. And uh, uh, I think it's, it's not much the regulations part that needs, some regulation needs to happen. And uh, you, you know the, the, the construction business very well. There's, there's no engineer that would, you need to be an engineer, had go through all the process to to sign uh, a project to be to be built because there's there's all of these concerns and and uh, 
so if you think about the the lives that then could be well, because people will live in your or work in in, in that uh, in that building you think about all of that and say okay so we're saving people lives because we're 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 creating this process to to validate this engineer's work this could because anyone could draw a paper and say let's put a beam here and it seems like it's okay then comes like rain or something like that you go through a year and then the, the roof falls over 100 people that work on the building that that would be very bad so you create all of these measures ai doesn't have any of this and software engineers today like myself um they we, we can basically do anything right there's there's no ethics committee there's n- nothing to to do this so i don't think that we should put a break on it but we th- we need to be more vocal in terms of public discussion because i don't believe in close quarter discussions in a in a committee somewhere with the senate or something like that that will decide what's the best way they don't understand ai it's not there's no way for them to really create the laws and and regulations but the people that are working this the whole world working on ai and they're very good at it companies are very good at it. microsoft has an ethics board uh, that we 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 publicly make available all the decisions and, and, and uh, process that we, we, we go through in, in our uh, software development. I, uh, I love this board because the guys really are thinking about what should and should be doing. The problem we hear is you don't know that you're doing wrong and it's not yeah. I'm a developer. I'm I'm not planning on being oh. biased towards a race of people. Like say, if I'm I'm using computer vision, like it happened with Microsoft, we we stopped using that for policing. So police cannot use our computer vision algorithms to do facial detection and identification because we're not sure if there's hundred percent bias free. So right. we not use it. That's ethics, right? No, and that's ultimately it, you know, because as we develop this AI, it's, it, it, we have to create the ethical part of it. I mean, when when a, mm-hmm. when a, when when you get self-driving cars and the car is driving down the street and it has to make an ethical decision, oh, look, I see a kid running out to catch a ball. I have to swerve to miss that one, but I have to kill my owner. What's the ethical decision it has to make, right? Someone has to program that in. A group of programmers somewhere in the world has to program that logic into. Uh, it's, hey, look, do I save the kid or do I save the owner? Yeah. Are you going to make that call? Yes, that's, are, are you? Are you? Are you yeah. Is your team going to make that call? I mean, do you want to be the one sitting behind I that thing going? It. Well, let's see here. It depends on how old the kid looks. If he looks like he's older than the driver or younger, <laughs> right? I mean, I, now all of a sudden you're forced to to make this thought that uh, I wasn't planning on doing before, right? But you're not, now you just said the biggest thing about AI, because if, if we, tr- but we, do we train anyone in the, in the, in the driver's seat that we, they all went to school. So is that part of the training for humans? No, we, we, we trust that the human will have the better judgment of doing the best decision. And probably we will judge people that, run over the kid and say, oh, he couldn't swerve. People that die, oh, he saves the kid. But it's all good because there's no ill intent in human. If, if there wasn't an ill intent, it was a situation and you were presented with the situation and you choose A, you choose B, doesn't matter because any it was an impossible choice for a human. But if it's a machine, oh. you will do always <laughs> the same choice because you're going to program it at basically there's billions of cars in the world all of them will do the same and this this scares people that's because it, that's right. on the other way 
it was an individual decision. Right. It was Marcus' decision. It was Anthony's that's decision. Right, that's it doesn't right. matter. Now it's a massive decision. And no. and complaints in terms of AI, that's the problem because every time that every time that you're biased or you do a mistake, that mistake is in code. It will be done millions and millions and millions and millions of the time, every second probably. It depends on the the the, the, the breadth of the AI that's squirming around the world. So it, that's that's the thing. We really need to have these discussions, but that's you're getting to know humans. That's the thing that, that I love about AI. That discussion that you're just having will make humanity better, even if it never gets implemented. Because that's, we're thinking about what life, what's life and how you value life and how you make this decision. What's ethics in terms of human? What would be the correct human behavior for this so that we can program it in the machine? And we can't converge in the solution. That's amazing. I know, it's, it's a great, it's a great I mean, that, that's, you know, just sitting down and be able to have that thought, you know, looking at AI also, you know, the difference is that you and I, uh, you know, we get up today, I forgot most, I, I can't remember what I had for dinner last night, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of what I had for dinner last night. Let's see. Last, oh, my wife made chicken soup. So I had chicken soup because I, I remember because I had chicken soup for lunch today, right? But uh, what I had for dinner three nights ago or, or what my, uh, how fast I drove, you know, what my favorite options are. I don't remember them all the time, but the problem is that AI is oh, yeah. collecting that data on me every decision I make, everywhere I go, every click I make, every every conversation I have, every phone call I make, every place I, every phone call I make and then drive somewhere, it's putting together and its ability to hack me is gonna outweigh myself, right? I mean, out, outweigh who I am. It'll know my friends, my preferences, my, it'll know me so much better than I can even remember myself. That's what the part, when I start thinking about it, it's going, hmm, that's a little scary. <laughs> yeah, a bit, a bit. But right. I, I do believe that that's that's the biggest the biggest challenge here is be transparent. I, here in Portugal, for instance, and, and it's not just AI. Uh, it, our medical data is all uh, digitalized, so and anyone in a hospital can access that data uh, as a physician or a doctor uh, would need to access your data. If I'm in a, a doctor's office and he access any of my medical data, I get an SMS message. So I, I, my phone rings inside his office showing me that someone accessed, this is the person that accesses. Wait, wait, wait so, so, if so, I'm away. Yeah, wait, wait, hold on. Yeah. So does that mean that every time you go to a new doctor's office, you don't have to fill out that new paper form, that new patient form? So only for, for uh, private hospitals, uh, you still need to do this since wow. not I, fully uh, global, but unfortunately, I, <laughs> but, but uh, probably but I, they will be. But I would, I'd be up for having all the, I have all my information. If I don't have to fill out another one, I can Facebook from the crapper. And yeah, I, every time I go to a doctor's <laughs> office, I got to fill out that damn form. It tells me, hey, uh, have yeah. you, what was the last time you had surgery? I'm like, I've, I answer these questions a thousand times in my life and you mean that I, I mean google knows more about me than this piece of paper does uh, you, you seriously need me to fill this piece of paper out and then what are you gonna do you're gonna take this thing you're gonna scan it into some computer and then you're gonna throw this away and we're how many you know how many how many owls are, qu- are quivering at night because of all the trees that we kill because of the damn you know uh, uh forms. This is, these forms that we still have to fill out in the, in the medical world and you're like really you guys you're in the medical world we, we're counting on you guys to be advanced in technology we want you guys to know and be learning more than we are and care about our health and the well-being and yet all this archaic behavior that you're having it doesn't give me much hope that i'm you know on the other side of this wall you're advanced right you know over here on the front side i've got this you know archaic way of filling out <laughs> you know, when i get to the other side does someone over there know more about uh medical stuff than than you know these 
these uh, Neanderthals? I do believe that uh, the way is digital, fully digital. Uh, I've been doing this for a while now with Microsoft and uh, uh, it's the, it's for sure the way that you can create uh, good for everybody at the same level. Because if, if you had these forms, there's going to be a lot of people waiting and a lot of people that won't have access to it because there's so many time and you're not going to be able to have billions of hospitals to serve the community. You're going to always need to have as much as you can and try to make as much of those hospitals and those means uh, to serve a larger and ever-growing community. So digital is the only way to do it. But that opens the door for what you are saying, that Big Brother is out there and is watching us. And so I, I just want to be notified. I want to be able to uh, know what, like you were saying, picking up on your words, Anthony, uh, what what are you doing with my data? So I just want to know. And I want to be able to say no. Because that's that's my data. So if if you're trying to do something that I am ethically not okay with, then probably don't use my data to do it. Maybe there's millions of others that will say yes. So use those. Same thing is medically. If you want to be on a trial, the, the a medical doctor will say, oh, you, you have a cancer. It's very aggressive. No, it's a very good candidate for my trial. I say I don't want to be a guinea pig. So please don't don't choose me. Uh, and well, it's all good because there's going to be other people that will, maybe I'm not ready for it, you know? Well, it, until I go to order a pizza and I get that alert, right? I go to order a pizza and, it, and I get a little alert that they're checking my medical records and they go, yeah, I'm sorry, your cholesterol's too high. You can't have cheese today. <laughs> and they don't let me have a pizza, right? All of a sudden I want to order a pizza and my medical records say, nope, sorry, you're too fat. You got, you don't meet our specs, so you can't have pizza tonight. You're going to have the fish dinner tonight. And yeah, there's no, <laughs> you get to have, you know, fish and, and, and a salad, no pizza for you. I'll, I'll be okay until that happens, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's the thing. Uh, you, 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 it's possible for you to have all of the benefits of uh, uh, AI and and open data and still be safe. You just need to build the system this way. For instance, another thing that I'm working f with is uh, that I'm very happy is trying to get this new concept around federated learning. So federated learning is a way for, for, for your listeners that maybe don't know this term. It's basically when you, you get a, to train an AI model, but you don't get the data. So I want to train my model, but your hospital, for instance, Anthony, this is very, I think the best application this is for medical use. Uh, you have an hospital and uh, your data is inside on your on-premises because you, you don't want to, even if it's in the cloud, but it's in your cloud, it's closed. You don't want to give me access to your patient data, but you believe in my project because I'm, I'm probably going to save a lot of lives with my model, but I don't have the data. So you have the data, you don't have the model, I have the model, but, uh, but don't have the data. But we, and you cannot give me that and I don't want to like, I'm going to, it's not going to be your model. It's going to be for this whole world. So how are we going to do this? Federated learning solves this. So I can train my model on your data inside your premises, then come back to me only the output of the training model. So I never saw the data. I just want a model. And I'll distribute my model uh, in, in these federated sites that federate with myself in terms of the, 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 the model building uh, standards. So I, I just give you my algorithm, then comes back 
to me with the results of that training. I know the accuracy. I know this model is good or not. Uh, and I, I'll do another iteration, give you back another uh, another tentative and then come back. And at the end, I'll, I'll get that model, put it out there and your data is still safe. That, that to me is a is the euphoric way. I mean, look, if, if I can generate that and keep my data, data safe, you know, the problem is that I'm, I'm, I've been, you know, for thousands of years, governments have taken advantage or religions have taken advantage yeah. of their people. And, you know, the, to be able to trust that federated model, look, that is exactly what we want, right? We want a model that can go in there and learn without exploiting the individual, look for the greater good for the community. You know, our, our greater goods, what we want to serve. If, if your data can help serve the greater good, absolutely. But as soon as that your data comes out and starts to exploit the individual, now yeah. uh, everybody doesn't trust it. Now I'm in fear. Now uh, I'm in a spot where, uh, you know, the, the greater good sounded good until it exploited me. And uh, now, you know, if, 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 I, if I could have one, if I could, that federated model to me sounds beautiful, right? It sounds like a great place to be. Uh, so yeah. how do we protect that? How do we protect the integrity of the model? And, and it's easy, and most of this is, comes with ethics around what we were discussing before. But and I loved your your point, Anthony, because that's probably your that fear exists. Yeah. Okay, that's 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 a fact. People are afraid that their data and these models will be misused. Probably most of them with uh, concerns with their own uh, freedoms being uh, basically reduced by governments or, or, or whatever uh, that will exploit these data and these models to, to create a new wave of uh, non-democratic uh, government that will uh, be able to see everything and, and your liberties will be compromised. So that's, that's the thing. That is a fear and that probably will is in my opinion, my biggest fear is that we'll generate a new winter for AI. We'll close down AI because people will start not sharing the data and not basically not believing that in the integrity and ethics of the people that are working because AI is bad. And if that idea comes out, then it's going to be 20 years again or, or, or even more of non-progress for AI like it happened in the past and this 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 is going to be bad this is for me is one of it's high expectations and and the, the fear one of them is at great risk to stop AI progression today this is something that happens today Winter, yeah. the, the ethics is the is the core Anthony ethics is the core so if we have open discussions around the ethics and what should and shouldn't be doing and this is public and if this is really well uh transparently given to the community all around, then people have nothing to be afraid because it's open, right? No, no, you're here. Winter is coming. And if we don't get on top of the ethics, right, then we know it. If we don't get on top of the ethics today, and all, all the folks who are out there developing AI want that, right? They, do, they want it today. Like you said, there's not a developer out there trying to make a bad machine. They're all trying to find yeah. ways of making the world a better place to be. And, and we're just yeah. trying to exploit the people who are not, the, not, not those people that are trying to develop AI that uh, will exploit us. So, uh, you know, I, I think all of the great developers uh, have realized that, and I think they're all in a, in, a, in agreement with us. I, I, I've not met you know met anybody who hasn't uh, found that exact reason. Look, we all want to find that. Now let's giddy up and, and work together to create uh, an ethical uh, process uh, to to put this together. Marco, I am yep. so excited when I get to work here. I, I I know we're going to run out of time, but I want to talk a little bit about your NGO. 
You've got one of the best. Okay. Out of all the people I've ever interviewed, all the people I've ever been on, on board, you have got one of the best NGOs in the world. So let's tell the audience a little bit about your NGO. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you. Um, so I have a, I've built an NGO with uh, with a bunch of friends uh, that are, uh, it's called Dice Cultural. So basically what we do is we try to help the hobby of uh, board games to grow uh, worldwide. So we have uh, many, many projects from uh, creating awareness around board games uh, to uh, helping translate board games here uh, to Portu Portuguese. Uh, Portugal is a very small country, as, as you, you, you almost went to, from north to south of Portugal really, really fast. So uh, it's it's not a very big country. So uh, getting translations to, to our native language is, is not that great. It's language is always a barrier to interest. And we have uh, starting building another other uh, aspects like uh, care, for instance, I care for helping uh, um, the community uh, uh, less uh, privileged individuals that don't have access to games and don't have access to this type of cognitive development tools because games are cognitive development tools, especially board games, in my opinion, because it's very tactical, very you're, you're in physically uh, around the table with other people. There's social aspects. It's not like video games where you're closed up in, a, uh, in front of a TV, probably not even connecting with anyone else because there's no human connection there. Even if there's a voice chat, it's it's not as good and as fast as nonverbal communication around the table. And that's very strategic. You need to learn, you need to read to learn how to play the game. So there's many layers of uh, uh, cultural and, and cognitive uh, uh, development that games provide. So this is a little bit of what we do in, in Dice Cultural. I have um, one of the best teams in the, uh, that I know. It's been the best teams in the world, the guys that are volunteers and giving their time to to help games grow uh, and uh, giving their times to help people also get to know more games. It's still a, a rising hobby. It's not as big as video games by far, but it's a fast-growing market, to be honest, in the fast-growing, uh, especially in the pandemic, to be honest. Another thing that the pandemic, that it wasn't all bad. One of the good things is the there's a lot of people that reached out and uh, wanted to have have family moments around the table that wasn't didn't involve a television. So board games got a, a, a larger audience due to that as well. So that's good. You know, having I grew up in a, in a board game culture, right? My family had board games. We had board games as kids. We had stacks of board games in, in our in our bedrooms. And you know, anytime you had friends over, you had you know Monopoly or, or, or whatever they were, uh, uh, Candy Cane or what, what Candyland, uh, whatever they were. They were fun mm -hmm. to play. They were interacting. And it taught a lot of stuff, you know, not just the physical interaction, right? The the uh, relate relatedness to each other, uh, the behavioral aspects of it, how to how to be a good winner or loser. Uh, it, it took a lot out of us in in the social environment. That I think that you know having that still around is a gem, and I really honor you for keeping that art oh, and those you. relationships around. You and Portugal. Uh, our magical place. I, uh, I, I, I have to tell you, our trip to Portugal was one of my favorite trips in the world. Uh, every part of it has history and just it's luscious from from top to from from Porto to to the bottom. The, the, the whole the whole country, uh, Navarro with the beach, the beautiful beaches and the uh, every part of it, the castles, the art, the history, the people, the language, the food, uh, all of it was just uh, exciting and beautiful just as you are and I'm so grateful to have you on the show today uh, please make sure uh, you, you give Christina my love and uh, I look forward to us getting on this podcast again like uh, like every time we talk 
we go down these paths that uh, are fun. They they make me giggle inside and make my brain really think a little bit. So I am uh, I'm grateful for the time we get to spend together, brother. Thank you so much for the kind words and uh, and for this time and for this amazing amazing conversation. I, I had a blast. So thank you for having me. I really really enjoyed every our conversation here in Portugal. This conversation and many others that I hope we have. Thank you so much, Anthony, for having me. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. My name is Anthony Monategi. Always looking for people to bring insight into the industry. Finding ways to inspire people to have amazing careers in the development world. If you liked our podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really liked our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Thanks again for listening. Please share it with your friends.